This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, it was three plays from scrimmage into the Cardinals' Week 14 game. And already they had lost their franchise quarterback, Kyler Murray, for the rest of the season. It's Cardinals Underground, Paul Calvisi, Danny Sarek, Darren Urban. In fact, it was pretty much the first entry I made in my little game log in my notebook here that I have uh, for each and every season. And so, uh, what's that? That you wanted a podcast? That was the note you made? No, the note was uh, Kyler Murray scramble slash injured slash non-contact slash cart parentheses, towel overhead. Then I put Colt McCoy next. That was my uh, shorthand as to the events of the moment. And sure enough, less than 24 hours later, it was confirmed by the head coach that Kyler Murray is done for the year, at least this season. Torn ACL, don't know what a realistic or best-case scenario would be in terms of a timetable. It varies with certain players and certain injuries. You could be a Carson Palmer. You could be a Tyron Matthew. There are different examples of this over the years. Uh, Joe Burrow, for example. When did Joe Burrow get injured during his? It was fairly. It was no. It was actually early rookie year, right? It was midway. I think it was was midway. midway. I think it was midway. We were we were definitely enough into the season where you're like, okay, Joe Burrow, and then he got hurt. I mean, it wasn't this late though. Does it matter that Joe Burrow makes his living almost exclusively with his arm, not his legs? I, I will say this: I've watched a couple of Bengals games of late. He runs. He doesn't. He's not like Kyler, but he he'll run. And and you know, again, I I think, I mean, is there is this going to be a factor? Of course, it's going to be. You know, one of the things, the first things I think about is Kyler and. You know, he needs to be 100% to feel comfortable coming back from a hamstring. I don't know what that means when you're talking about coming back from an ACL. But um, I, I, I think this is all in kind of uncharted territory for him, for the rest of us watching it, and what it means for him, for a guy that has grown up uh, blessed with a lot of athletic talent who, as far as I know, and I'm pretty sure, has never suffered any kind of significant injury. How does, this, how does he handle that? Well, not only that, but mentally, it's a lot to come back from a big injury like this, especially for a player who utilizes his legs the way that Kyler Murray does. And it'll be interesting to see the type of mental strength to go out and really trust his body and trust his legs when he gets to that point. But it will be interesting of not to look too far ahead, but the recovery process. And I think a lot of that, you know, you still have to do testing and you have to when you're in there in surgery and see what you have of if it's a clean you know just torn ACL the way that surgery and medicine and science and you know they have the recovery time for that down but if there's a little more than that that obviously extends the recovery process so it'll be interesting to see once they get through surgery and if we're able to hear 
any sort of updates and then in a couple months kind of see how the recovery process is doing of how early into next season will Kyler Murray be able to go? Yeah, I mean, let, let's face it, Paul. I mean, we're we're recording this literally about an hour or so, a little over an hour after Cliff Kingsbury confirmed it. Obviously, the, the news has been coming out throughout the day. Uh, and he got the MRI. But, I mean, we don't even know when he's going to be able to have surgery because that's a situation usually where they let the, the injury calm down and the swelling go down, and that's different for every single person. For example, Max Williams just recently revealed it was a lot more than just an ACL, the tight end who went down week five of 2021. It, it was There were nerve issues, and his knee will never quite be the same. He'll never even walk with the same gait again, Max Williams sharing with the media. And we found that out you know, more than a year after the injury. So Dennis Gardeck had the ACL, and sure, he played last year, but it wasn't until the offseason he admitted, yeah, I, you know, I was back. I was, you know, I was cleared and declared healthy enough and not a threat to re-injure it, and, and I was able to get through a season, but it wasn't until some of those May mini camps where he said, yeah, now I finally feel like I did two years ago. I mean, you mentioned Tyron Matthew. Tyron, that, that first year he got hurt, uh, uh, the first time he injured his ACL, 2013, yep. 2014 was – not great. And then he comes back and has a magnificent 2015 oh. season, tears his ACL at the end of that year. And one of the reasons they got kind of sideways with a contract is he, he couldn't quite get back to the level he was at after he tore that second ACL until, unfortunately, he was no longer with the Cardinals. I remember his first knee injury was so bad that I had people say that a number of folks in the medical community, after seeing some of the x-rays, the MRIs, they doubted whether he'd ever play again. And he came back because a number of players had had a very similar knee injury to that extent. It was that devastating. And surgeons just couldn't fix it. They, it, it was just beyond. So the Cardinals medical team, and I'm not exactly sure who performed the surgery, they got a lot of props within the medical community. I was told that a number of agents from other players actually called that surgeon and said, how did you do that with Tyron Matthew? That's how well done that surgery was, and that's how serious the extent of Tyron's knee injury was. So we have no idea to what extent Kyler Murray's knee injury is beyond just torn ACL. But we do know that he was incredibly emotional, obviously, last we saw him on the cart leaving the stadium. Right, he had the towel over his head, and even head coach Cliff Kingsbury said he knew almost immediately from all the years he's known Kyler when he saw him down on the field. It happened right in front of the Cardinals' sideline. He knew immediately it wasn't good, and Kyler, Kyler didn't even try to get up. The, he was tended to by the trainers. They brought the cart out, his teammates all around him giving him support, and he had the towel over his head, and the photos later revealed it looked like he was crying. I will say it is, you know, pretty interesting, and this is not to get sidetracked by any means, but this is a big reason as to why big players, specifically quarterbacks, when they are fighting for those contracts, this is why. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this is this yeah. is the this is the this is the reason. Yeah, and this is you know, this is also a reason, although it's there's some irony there because it was non-contact, but. I mean, this is a guy who's worked hard to preserve himself because he doesn't want to get hurt, and and uh, and now to have it happen like this is. I, I look. I feel you can say what you want about Kyler Murray. I, having anything go, anyone go through this is not good, especially a professional athlete. Um, and you know, I had somebody say, "Look, 
it's terrible for him, but he also has a giant contract and he, you know, there are worse things that could happen in the world to people. And look, I understand that. It can always get worse. But I, but I will say this, for whatever warts that Kyler Murray might have or issues that people might have with Kyler Murray, I, I absolutely 100% believe he is the guy when he says, I live to play football uh, and I live to compete. I believe that. I believe that in his soul. And, I, you know, when he's crying after something like this, it's as, it's as much about that and the loss of potentially that than not being able to be, you know, having to go through a rehab or pain or anything like that. He has a lot of pride. And, and that goes back to partially the natural ability that he's been gifted with, but also the hard work that he's put in throughout his entire career. We, we know the accolades going all the way back to high school. And, and that doesn't come just solely based on natural ability that that comes from the desire to work hard and continue to get better and for the love of the game and you know at the end of the day this is his livelihood and to have have it end the way it did and in pain and I'm sure he is already thinking about returning next year and knowing the recovery process and the fact that this is happening so late in the season makes it likely he will not be ready to go at the start of next season. I'm sure there's a lot going on in his mind on that regard as well. To what degree is it his identity? He identifies himself as a football player. You know, for all the knocks and some of the criticism and the haters and the noise out there, and a lot of it is is totally concocted and erroneous, you know, he's never been in the news for the wrong reasons in terms of wrongdoing or anything. No. I mean, so he's committed himself to the game of football sort of like the coach at the end of his coaching career who retires and realizes no wait a minute you know my profession was my identity in so many ways so yeah I I think it's a valid point you raised Aaron it's going to be just as tough mentally perhaps for him to deal without football for an extended period of time so you know what does that mean is you know and, and can you truly get better playing quarterback without actually playing the position maybe just maybe you know maybe they get him those vr simulators that go all the way back to you know carson palmer back in the day and now i mean honestly and then he's in there and he's trying to simulate looking at these uh you know different coverages and all these different looks defenses so i'm guessing look if there's any way they can try and get him those reps albeit mental reps in any fashion with any sort of technology uh they're going to examine every single possibility to try and continue that and because that's to me what you're losing over the final month is that ability how many times have we talked about it over the prior month of now that you're realistically out of the playoffs okay the real goal here is to get Kyler back to his status as a legitimate MVP candidate and that's what you lose out on it's not necessarily a win here against the Broncos or the Buccaneers no it's it's that chance the potential to get Kyler back to the caliber of play that he showed over the first half of 2021 that's what you're losing this sets up let's face it guys a fascinating i don't know about next month but it certainly sets up a fascinating off season i mean the 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 presumed direction that it was going to go no matter what was going to have getting kyler murray back right and in the right direction uh, and that's lost. I mean, now the offseason is only going to be about rehab. It's certainly, like you said, it's not going to be about football for him. Uh, I mean, he can be in meetings and stuff like that, but, I mean, he's not going to be able to do anything. 
and uh, and what that means in terms of how they build their team, what that means in terms of how they look at next year. And, and again, some of these questions can't be answered until we have a better understanding of what the timeline is. But, I mean, ultimately, from from all the guys that I've been around that have rehabbed uh, ACLs, and, and thank goodness this is 20 years after I started doing this because when I first started doing it, ACLs were absolutely a year. I heard Kyle Vandenbosch talking on a couple different places, including Red Sea Report, about him tearing his ACLs when he was with the Cardinals, which I was covering the team when Kyle was playing here because I'm super old. And uh, and those those basically wiped out his Cardinals career. And and yep. they, they ended up letting him go because he just was never healthy here. And he ended up being an excellent player for a couple other teams in the NFL. And now you can come back in eight months, nine months. But at what level are you and at what level does Kyler need to be at to be able to go on and get on the field and how much of that is going to play into it and I keep coming back to that whole thing at the last two years when he's been hurt with a hamstring and the ankle well we want Kyler to be 100% we want Kyler to be 100% we want him to be able to get away from well you're to, to truly get to 100% he's going to be gone a long time you don't ever you're not going to want to ask when Kyler comes back to change who he is as a player you know yeah. completely but i think it will be interesting to see of how long until he will truly feel as confident as he can i don't know if he'll ever feel as confident whether that's a physical ability or mentally um to run and scramble and, and maybe he will it's not to say that just cuz he tore his acl that all hope is gone that he's never going to be able to use his legs the way that he has. That's physically. Physically, yes. right. The, mentally, it's going to be very tough. I agree. So it's just going to be interesting to see of how does he adjust, how will the coaching staff adjust, because you're not going to want to ask him to be anything other than himself and the way that he plays the game. But you would imagine if he doesn't, if there's a chance that he's not going to feel as confident to use his legs the same way, how are you going to adjust the way that you're using your arm or reading defenses or adjust your game moving forward? And sure, I mean, you know, he wouldn't be the only guy who's a little apprehensive coming back from a season-ending injury, right? A little reticent maybe to make a similar move or get as aggressive. Then again, if he's truly going to miss the game like we think he will, maybe he's more willing than ever to play at less than 100% just for the sake of getting back. Saying, you know, I want to play ball again. I might be 85 90%. I don't care. I'm getting out there. I'm going to play ball again. And you know what? I'm going to pull a Cole McCoy. I'm going to do more with less in terms of getting rid of the ball quickly. I'm going to read and react. Yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll hit that, you know, hit the go button when I when needed. But guess what? Design runs are out to start with on the game plan. And when in doubt, I'm just going to throw the ball away. So you know, maybe he comes back a little different quarterback, at least to start. I mean, it's possible. I, I, I think this can go in a lot of different directions. And, and Guess what? This begins about... At least 10 months of speculation, oh, what yeah. we're doing right now. Well, that's, yeah. again, you are talking about the franchise quarterback, and you've paid him as such. What, what's interesting is in the press conference, Cliff Kingsbury was asked about where Kyler might do the rehab, whether it would be here or at home in Texas. I, my my feeling is it would have to be here. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's language in the contract, like standard language, not necessarily Kyler Murray language, but standard language, though, if you're, you're doing rehab. And I do know that the thing is, if you don't do rehab with the team, if you have any kind of setback, you're risking yeah, that's a right. lot. Yes. No, that, that is absolutely accurate. No, no question about that. Um, 
you know, and the the other thing with the whole Kyler dynamic right now is, hey, uh, what about the uncertainty of this offseason in terms of what are you doing next season for a quarterback? You might think you have a timetable, but guess what? That's just going to be a forecast. That's going to be a prediction. You don't truly know how his knee will react. So what does that mean in the offseason? What sort of draft capital and or money do you have to put towards a quarterback to come in? Is Cole McCoy truly going to be your guy? Based on the beating he's taken in a few of these games and at 36 years of age, you have to have a pretty significant backup plan to the backup. It, it will be interesting to see moving forward, however they fall in the draft order and, and what they decide to do, if this is going to change any of their plans. And you're right, not only if they want Colt to come back next year, but does Colt want to come back? Is he at that point where he still feels like he can give it his all when he goes out onto the field next season? And then you start you know, making decisions about Trace McSorley, and, and there's going to be a lot of decisions that go into play and you just hope that by the time you have to make a lot of these decisions in early spring, right, like late March, draft in April, is are you going to have enough knowledge on Kyler Murray's recovery process and what a realistic return time will be of what kind of moves do you really need to make and how many games are you maybe going to have to rely on somebody else? Well, I, I do... I personally think McCoy is around here next year for no other reason that he's got, you know, almost $4 million that they would pay him if he sticks around next year that he would forego if he decides to retire. And I think they're going to want him around because you're going to need quarterbacks. Agreed. And, and you go back to when he signed, and, and Cliff Kingsbury tells the story where, you know, they're talking about him being a mentor and a backup, and then Colt cuts him off and says, wait a minute, don't forget, I can really play. Yeah. So I think the passion for the game is still there. Do play the game. Because you know what? To Cliff's point about Colt's knowledge and his ability to be a coach, right here, right now, and Cliff Kingsbury made a gallows humor type of joke that he could probably do my job at this point, there's no doubt if, if Colt McCoy retired tomorrow, got a single, I don't know, OC job at a major college, for example, within a year, he'd have a head coaching gig, and he'd probably be making $8 million a year. Honestly, the timetable on Colt McCoy becoming a head coach somewhere in this game and making $5 million plus somewhere at the college level, I think would be rapid. I, I really do. I think it would be a quick ascension. I'd be ascension. curious to know with how many kids he has if he'd really want to go into the coaching Yeah, maybe he wants and, to stick with uh, coaching his kids' soccer yeah. teams. Wasn't that what he was doing in the offseason? I, I yeah. That's a great question. I, I'm I mean, just saying he has the ability. Of course, of course. He, he has options. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. So, I mean, like, I'll just give you an example. Stanford just hired Troy Taylor as their head coach. I don't know what they're paying him a year. David Shaw is making nine to ten million a year. Troy Taylor spent ten to fifteen years coaching high school. He's a former Pac-12 quarterback. Went to the Jets for one season, and he's been back out of high school coaching at Sacramento State for like two or three years. He killed it, and then now he's got a major gig for big money. So Colt McCoy is a much higher profile, and it's still an offensive game, and people are still looking for offensive coaches. But look, you have four games to go right now, and Kyler Murray is going to be – and by the way, hard knocks in season might want to stick around and be hard knocks off season with the Arizona Cardinals. That, that finale in Santa are there, Clara. Are there rules for that to do the same yeah. team? You're going to have to kick hard knocks out of your building because the drama is going to start after the season finale against the 49ers in Santa Clara. They're going to want to keep documenting everything that goes on in the off season around here. 
Do you know something I don't know yet? Considering the question, no, I'm just, I'm okay. just, I'm just pontificating right here and just saying, if you're one of those producers, yeah, it does get intriguing in the off season as to what the I think Cardinals the producers are gonna do. after, after this stretch, they're going to be quite happy to pack up the trailer <laughs> maybe, and go home. Maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, they got to be. Fi- yeah. They got at this. I walk. I walked up to one of the producers in the locker room after the game, and I said, "It's going to be tough road to hold these last four weeks." He just kind of smiled, and I mean. Yeah. You want reality TV? You're getting a reality check right now on Hard Knocks. And if you're working internally on that show, yeah, it's going to be tough. The locker rooms have been tough the last couple of games, have they not? Oh, yeah. It's it's downcast and it's downbeat, and rightfully so. You have four wins. You have nine losses. You just lost your franchise quarterback. You've played nearly 80 different players. Uh, There's always something making headlines off the field. Trayvon Mullen, what, a couple hours ago was released. And so it's just there's stuff flying everywhere. I don't know why, how or why. <laughs> Everything is – we've got four years worth of drama into one season, but yeah. In the the start of the offseason, we're going to have to go and in the calendar year – make a list of everything that's happened because I feel like I can't even keep track of everything that's gone down since probably February. Can. Probably yeah. can. If you've been scoring at home, uh, guess what? You gave up. Uh, you know, this is so much to keep track of. So, look, they're going to go up to Denver next, and you're going to have Colt McCoy behind four backups on the offensive line. You know, James Conner went down for a minute. What was the determination? He just his not the breath was knocked out of him, right? I'm not sure. He only missed four plays, yeah, though. I think that's what it was. He, he, he and so he had the wind knocked out of him, but everybody held their breath. You're just waiting for the next calamity to hit at this point. So, what can you do over these final four games to build a little something? Obviously, momentum isn't going to carry. We talked about confidence. You know, is there something you can do? You know, just internally uh, about the culture, try and challenge everyone. You're taking on a Broncos team that is three and ten. They got down twenty-seven nothing against the Chiefs. They're getting booted home, but somehow found the fight to make it a thirty-four twenty-eight game, even minus Russell Wilson at the end with Brett Rippon taking over. So that's your your opponent coming up here in Week 15. Uh, it's just uh, it's. <laughs> You know, you're going to be looking out there and uh, you're going to see two teams with quite a bit in common. When I got a chance to interview Zayvon Collins for a sideline exchange interview about a month ago at this point, um, something similar came up in the conversation. I liked his answer. And he had said, in a situation like this, what's so important is making sure that nothing is entering the locker room that's going to divide the team and divide the players. Everyone in that locker room understands the situation. Yes, they mathematically still have a chance to make the playoffs. It doesn't feel that way. And they know that. They know that from the play. Everybody, of course, is disappointed with how the season has panned out. It's about holding yourself and each other accountable, but not letting that seep into the locker room and those relationships and continuing to play hard for one another, playing hard for the person sitting next to you and trying to build that confidence and trying to create some of that chemistry to carry over into next year and and hopefully you get to a point to where everything that they're battling through together will only as cheesy as it sounds will only make them stronger and more motivated moving forward so I asked Cliff Kingsbury on his weekly TV show here going into this Broncos game I said if there's one thing that you could remedy by the end of the year would it be eliminating the two words self-inflicted and he actually jumped on a resounding yes before I finished the question to me there's no doubt you got to stop being your own worst enemy. 
at the worst times. We talked to Antonio Hamilton in the locker room after the game on the Cardinals radio side, and he just cited it. I said, your big takeaway from this game, this loss, the lack of details, the lack of discipline at crucial times. That's something that just won't go away. It's been persistent through this year. It's obviously been a common thread in all the losses. You're looking at a team that now has lost 14 of its last 19 games. And so this has been an issue. Can you realistically remedy that? What does it take? What is the answer to try and get especially veteran guys at different times? A.J. Green stepping out of bounds and then coming back in. You know, whether it's those sort of mental mistakes, a Hollywood Brown with an illegal shift, you know, whether it's then, you know, holding the ball with one hand, DeAndre Hopkins. Now, I get it. He has freaky, unbelievably sized and talented hands. I get it. But is he getting too comfortable and cocky, carrying that always one-handing everything, DeAndre Hopkins? So he tapped himself on the shoulder pad, said, my bad. That's after he disposed of his gloves. He threw the gloves away and got a new pair of gloves, but at the same time made it known to everyone is his fault. But these are those little – everybody now, how often have we said it? Those little things are big things in the NFL and can decide NFL games. I was going to say, name me one – well, let's start here. Uh, and maybe maybe this pops in your head, maybe it doesn't. What's the one all-time stat when that is almost it's generally one-sided in terms of how you can tell who wins games? Turnover ratio. Turnover ratio. So what is that? Oh yeah, that's who makes fewer mistakes than the other guy. I hear all this. Oh okay, that's what teams that lose do. They make mistakes. So I mean. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but this isn't unique to the Cardinals. Bad teams screw up like this. That's why you're a bad team. So but let's. what I'm saying is drill a little deeper. So if, if you're having some of the mental mistakes, the pre-snap stuff. Two years yeah. ago, two years ago, the Cardinals led the NFL in penalties, right? Yeah. Would you say that was correctable? Well, they did. They did in 2021, at least the first two-thirds of the season. They remedied that big time. There was a huge before and after difference. Oh, and I'm not, I'm not saying you can't so, correct it. My point is is you don't – I, I don't want to make it be a cause and effect. I mean, it is a cause and effect, yeah. but it's the other way around for me. You're a bad team because you, you, you make mistakes. It's not you make mistakes so you're a bad team. No, I, I, and I get it. I guess what I'm saying is you can be a bad team because you have zero talent, Houston Texans, or you, you can be a bad team because you're your own worst enemy. And yeah. I think you see some of that with the Broncos, the team you're playing, and just, especially in offense, and then the Cardinals right now in terms of, okay, is there enough accountability when these mistakes are happening? The same mistakes week after week. We talked about this with Drew Stanton in the pregame show. Okay, is there enough leadership in that locker room? You would think so, looking at some of the characters and people on this roster. That Yeah, there should be enough. But are those guys walking up on each other and holding each other accountable? Because why are you getting the same mistakes, the correctable mistakes? It's one thing if, okay, you know what, Josh Jones can't block Matthew Judon there's only so much you can do about that but if an offensive lineman continues to jump off sides or other mental mistakes well that's easily or <laughs> theoretically correctable so um, maybe some of that is 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 what led to for example and you can point to a number of different roster moves but like Trayvon Mullen 
So wait a minute. If Byron Murphy is out and he's uncertain, and Marco Wilson just went down with a stinger, do you think you really have depth at corner to get rid of a Trayvon Mullen? Must be something else. So maybe there's an example being made of a player who wasn't quite accountable enough for some of his mistakes, as I speculate, perhaps recklessly. The face mask penalty in which they went on and scored the following drive, Patriots did. It's interesting to me of, you know, I'm curious how different teams, different coaching staffs handle those mental mistakes when it comes to all those penalties to a certain degree with really the play too. I mean, the coaching staff, you can only do so much. How, how is it, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's job when, when Hollywood Brown has an illegal shift penalty like that, that's not something he's doing by any means. So it's just interesting to me of how some teams it's not an issue. And I feel like when it is an issue for a team, it is persistent. And, and to me, that would fall more on the focus and mental strength of the players that are out there and, and being ready. Now, to some degree, you know, I feel like penalties like that are more likely to happen when there is confusion. And yet again, there were more wasted timeouts because of confusion and personnel and plays that were being called. And that, of course, is, you know, that, that can lead to more pre-snap penalties. So I do think it's a combination. But it is interesting that for some teams, it's not an issue. And then I feel like when it is, it's glaring. I just it bothers me that when you talk about Hopkins carrying the ball, it was how he was doing that, or Hollywood getting a shift penalty, or AJ Green getting a couple. Of pen- I mean, we're not talking about inexperienced dudes. No, I mean that's the bigger problem for me. Is like it's one thing if a rookie's making a mistake, but you got you talk about the leadership in the locker room. Those are the guys that are supposed to be leading the way. Yeah. And I, I I appreciate Hop meeting the media and taking responsibility for his fumble. At the same time, I'm like, that wasn't, that wasn't, I put the ball away and maybe I was a little loose with it and then somebody popped it out. I mean, like the way he was carrying it, you're like inviting disaster. It didn't even look like it was truly popped out. Like he maybe got his hand on it in the tackle. I'm like, I, I, I knew he was carrying it. I knew he was carrying it not in a great way, but then I saw a replay not even till today. And then I'm like, oh my goodness. Like there's a lot of guys around. You're like taking a huge risk. And he was running into tackles with it like that. Yeah. So, uh, look, it's those sort of things that uh, if you can somehow clean up over these final four games, uh, obviously that's something that the coaching staff is looking at. And, you know, Colt McCoy now more than ever, even the two games he started, is going to be a de facto player coach. You see it on hard knocks. You see how vital he is to the game planning process. You see his presence and his persona in that QB meeting room. So I'm curious to see how he takes over to some degree. I mean, Darren, you remember Carson Palmer used to run those Friday walkthrough practices himself. B.A. would literally sit on the wall adjacent to the practice field, and Carson Palmer ran the offense. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it, it's just so I'm curious how that materializes. Now, on the other hand, uh, you know, I'm going to keep it real and just say, minus Kyla Murray, what exactly are you playing for over those last four games? I guess to get a Trey McBride, continue. He, t- he made a heck of a catch, took a heck of a shot. Okay, that's progress for the second round rookie. And my Jay Sanders, you know, Cam Thomas, who obviously made a play and hit the quarterback and sprung up for an interception by Isaiah Simmons. So these are the little small victories that you hope to glean. I'm not going to call them Pyrrhic victories because there is value in some of it, but this is what you're doing when you're 4-9 and playing out the string. It's unfortunate, but that's the spot we're in, is trying to find the positives and what can you 
take away? What good can you take away from these last couple of games in the regular season and understand what you're working with going into next year? And do you send a message to some of the guys? And then, you know what, they're going to have to make decisions too as to whether they want to be around. What's the, exactly the contract status of a Zach Allen? Where, where is that going into the offseason? Well, now he's hurt. Yeah. So what? So the two guys that you want to extend that have the, that seem to be out there, Byron Murphy and Zach Allen, you don't even know how much yeah. they're going to play the rest of the year. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, am I missing over the final four games, if I pose the question, something or someone that you view as critical to improve, how do you fill in that blank? I mean, do you, do you try and experiment? more in some regards you know with different elements I don't know Danny go ahead I don't know if I could put this on one person but if we're looking for an area to improve it would have to be who you have at your offensive line at the moment because there is a lot of uncertainty there with contracts with injuries and so if you're going to bring back some of the offensive linemen that you have right now that are playing I, I feel like they need to step up their game. You need to know, again, pretty much what I was just saying of, of you need to know with the rookies, you need to know what you're working with and working around moving forward. And that is kind of a sneaky position group of what are you really going to have when you start looking at the contracts and who's going to be healthy and who are you going to want back. And I think that's an area that hasn't been incredibly consistent, although they have had so many injuries. They've had nine starting offensive line combinations, which is – and, and the personnel changes that room has dealt with it, I'm sure, has not been easy. But you're going to have decisions that are made there, and you're going to have to know if the backups you're playing right now are you going to want them back next year. It's interesting that Cliff Kingsbury said uh, before the Patriots game that while Cordy Ford was going to start at guard over because Rashad Coward was hurt, that Lita Smith would probably get some time, and he didn't. He got Cody Ford played the whole way. So – you know, at some point, do you do you look at some of these guys? Do you change your mind? Did he decide Cody Ford was playing better than you expected? I think it's all fascinating. And, you know, again, a lot of this, <laughs> if we're going to talk about the quarterback at some point coming back, you're definitely going to want to have somebody can protect them. Yep. And if you have a top five pick, is that going to be spending the best offensive lineman in the draft? But, well, if you have a top five pick, you got a lot of, decisions to make because yep. you could use a really awesome pass rusher you could sure. use a cornerback uh by the way jim omohundro uh sent this earlier when we were so busy with ourselves i didn't look at my phone but joe burrow got war- hurt in week 11 november 22nd wow. now joe burrow also had a torn acl mcl a partial pcl tear wow. and partial meniscus tear oh boy now i'm really hoping that that's not what happened to kyler but if i recall correctly i'm pretty sure burrow got hit like he was in a mangled mess yes and most of the time and i don't want to come across as like a doctor or that i know what's going on with kyler but most of the time the non-contact acl injuries are just the acl because it just popped so fingers so crossed yeah so you're praying it's clean if uh, as if i really know what the definition of that is you just hear some of the Surgeons say that. So I'll tell you the other thing I'll throw out there just over these last four games. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see a final stat sheet where you show the tackles, the leading tacklers. I'd love to see one game where four out of the five top tacklers aren't DBs. I, I just now 
Isn't that partially how they're playing, though? It could be. It could be. I'd love to have Vance Joseph in the trust tree and just, you know, I mean, what do you think when once again a corner is your leading tackler? Because they're playing that softer zone where you can throw it short and they come up and get you. You're going to get a lot of tackles that way. And I know the Cardinals' run game recently has focused on getting James Conner outside on a corner. So, okay, and Antonio Hamilton, when he had his 11-tackle game about a month ago, we had him in the Big Red Rage, he said, hey, they kept running it right at me, so I kept making the tackle. So, all right, but I, I'm not going to be honest here. I'd love to see Zayvon Collins with a double-digit tackle game as your Mike Backer. I'd love to see him be your leading tackler and be that guy just flying around and end up with 11 or 12 tackles and be atop that final box score. I don't think that's unreasonable for you to ask. Um, what's interesting is I still feel like to a certain degree that tackling continues to be an issue. Um, <laughs> I, I just feel like there are too many, too many games where big plays are happening because tackles are being easily broken by the opponent. Um, but, but I agree. I think linebacker will be another area that you'll have to look at and how are you going to utilize Isaiah Simmons. Yes. Next year. Nice. Is that going to <laughs> a little delayed, but you got there. Well, he did have his cup in his hand. <laughs> Maybe Omo can edit out, edit out the delay and make me look good. Right? Like, how are you going to utilize him next year? I think that's another position that you're going to have to look at. I mean, the health of the linebackers that you've had this year and decisions you've made there and your pass rushers, it's... We're going to have look, our plenty to talk about, that's you, for sure. You can pick at every position this team had. I had somebody uh, send me something where they were like, they went through every position, and they were even complaining about the safeties because you can't have two high-paid safeties, so you got to get rid of one of them. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, by the way, the, my hesitation there was the classic Josh Rosen of buffering, as Josh Rosen used to call it, buffering, when he, he didn't quite recognize the coverage, and it took him a moment to make a decision before he would read and react. Well, that, that setup yeah. wasn't as yeah. – clean as my one last week that you're you got <laughs> right. but your mic was off yeah last week it was 100 percent on me uh so yeah so look and tackling i'll just this will be my final point tackling because we went through this in 2018 the 3 and 13 season that's one of the first things you look at to start a game how willing are these guys to put their body on the line and make a tackle how many guys said last week, you're going to know right away what is the want to when Ramondre Stevenson is out there. Well, that didn't last very long before he went down with injury. But, okay, here comes Marlon Mack and whoever else the Broncos are going to run out there. So, who's willing is to go Chase ahead? Edmonds healthy? Chase Edmonds. I forgot about Chase. So I don't think he is, though. No? So, all right. Neither is Russell Wilson. Yeah. Colt McCoy versus Brett Ripon, just yep. like you expected. Oh, boy. Yeah. By the way, there was there any doubt that uh, – that Russell Wilson was out for a moment or two when his head hit the turf. He looked like yeah, he went unconscious. Good. That was a significant head injury, and he's in concussion protocol. So uh, we'll see about the status there. But there you go. Okay. Once again, coming full circle, life without Kyler for the rest of this season and an unknown period of time going into next season. So it'll be uh, some definite uncertainty. And what will that mean, both in terms of the X's and O's and in terms of the personnel? They're already going to bring in another quarterback, according to Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, didn't they work out someone, per yeah, the reports? and the report is that he's going to be signed to the practice squad. Uh, it was Carson Strong? Carson Strong. Nevada? Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, Colt McCoy's yeah. your guy, and Trace McSorley's yeah. your backup. Yeah. And By the way, 
considering against Monday on Monday Night Football, if uh, knock on wood, if uh, further issues would have hit at quarterback in terms of injuries, I guess Corey Clement was your emergency. Corey Clement, okay. I guess he was. That was that's what I was told that he was going to be the emergency. At one point, emergency. Cliff did say there would be uh, there would be a running back in there, is what he said. Yeah. So, speaking to Chase Edmonds, I think once upon a time he was the emergency emergency quarterback. If just in case, break glass. Free I think Chris Banjo. So, all right, that'll do it for uh, this post-Monday Night Football edition. Uh, Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Isaiah!